This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 58. We're looking at Genesis 4, verses 13 through 15. If you've been watching the news at all, or reading the news online, you see there's lots of turmoil in the United States right now because of the election results from last week. Uh, this increasing turmoil sort of makes me nervous because history and theology, scripture, psychology shows that there are typically only three ways out of such turmoil. And frankly, I'm not quite sure which way our country will go. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss these three ways out of violence and turmoil because that's what we've been seeing in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and pretty much the rest of Scripture. And it uh, shows up again in Genesis 4, 13 through 15. Um, one of these ways that humanity chooses, it's the way of Cain, the way that Cain chooses. So uh, stick with me for that study. Very important as we look around what's going on in our country and even around the world today. Before we get to that study, though, it's coming up on Christmas, in case you weren't aware. And uh, just this week, I sent out a free ebook to those who are members of RedeemingGod.com, at least those who are in the Hope or Love membership levels. I have three membership levels, Faith, Hope, and Love. If you're in the Hope or Love membership level, you got a free ebook this week. I sent out Christmas Redemption, one of my ebooks. Uh, in this book, I, I use the example of Christmas to show how Jesus redeems everything and anything. Uh, it's a really important idea for me. A lot of my ideas that I write about, a lot of things I teach about, focus in on redemption. Even my the name of my blog, RedeemingGod.com. God is a redeeming God. And he works to redeem everything, everyone, and everywhere. So uh, if you're a member of the Hope or Love membership level, check your email from this week. Download that book. Now, if you're not a member of the Hope or Love membership levels and you want to get a copy of the book, uh, it's, it is available on Amazon. It's not very much. Uh, but you could also, if you feel like you missed out, look, uh, become a, a Hope or Love membership level. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash register, sign up. And if you register today... I will send you that free ebook as well in the next few weeks. All right, to get that free ebook that way. Everybody who joins the Hope or Love, if you're listening to this a year or two from now, look, uh, you, you sign up and I'll send it to you as well in a few weeks as well after you sign up. So anyway, just go to redeeminggod.com slash register. Uh, when you do that, you're going to get free downloads, free theology courses, and of course, free ebooks. So uh, I can't wait to see you there. Let's get on with our study then of Genesis 4, 13 through 15. Uh, and I do, I have great anguish in my heart for many of the events that have occurred this last week. Half the country is thrilled at the outcome of the election, and the other half is terrified. And just as we have seen in Genesis 4, when the rivalry between Cain and Abel becomes violent, we are seeing that the rivalry between the right and the left 
in this country is also starting to become violent. One of the main truths taught in the Bible is that this sort of rivalry between two groups or two people can only end in one of three ways. Let me, let me quickly review these three ways for you. First, the rivalry and violence can escalate out of control until it becomes all-out war. <laughs> I truly hope this does not happen. You look at every and any war in the past, and it has begun as a rivalry between two groups, and eventually it just escalates until it threatens entire countries and civilizations and cultures. War is the first way this rivalry can end. And I, re- I really hope that our country is smart enough to not go that direction. Second, the two warring sides can come together for peace and unity by blaming an outside third-party victim. They choose a scapegoat. And uh, as I watch events unfold around this country, I I see both sides trying to do this. One side puts forward a scapegoat, uh, then the other side puts forward a scapegoat. Uh, The problem so far with the scapegoats that each side chooses is that the other side doesn't agree that they are a scapegoat. So one side will, will point the finger and blame a person. You know, maybe they're blaming Trump. Maybe they're blaming Hillary. Maybe they're blaming illegal immigrants. Maybe they're blaming Muslims. Maybe they're blaming Christians, uh, evangelical Christians, you know. Uh, but, but neither side can agree on the scapegoat selected by the other side. But they're trying. And, of, of course, both sides are blaming and scapegoating the other side as well. Uh, but but this is never gonna this is never gonna work unless and until both sides can agree on a scapegoat. And if that happens, then this third party will get blamed for all the problems going on, and then we will be able to come together in agreement and unity. We saw this back with 9/11 when both sides agreed that uh, the violence, you know, Muslim terrorists or whatever overseas, they were the ones. And so we sang "God Bless America" on the steps of the Supreme Court. Anyway, that sort of thing could happen. And uh, we'll just have to see what develops over the next several months and years as the rivalry and violence continues to escalate. The third option, which is the best option by far, uh, it's the option modeled by Jesus. Um, And this is to refuse violence and to refuse scapegoating and instead choose to simply forgive. Uh, Judging by the current political landscape, I don't see this happening by the majority of the people involved on the right and the left. Uh, But maybe we Christians, whether you consider yourself on the right or the left, maybe we Christians can lead the way. In fact, that's one of our primary tasks, to show the world a better way out of the violence, out of the scapegoating, and instead towards love and forgiveness. So those are the three options. War, violence, bloodshed, scapegoating or forgiveness. What we're seeing in Genesis 4 is that from the beginning, from beginning with the first humans in the Bible, we humans have typically chosen that second option, the way of the scapegoat. That is what Adam and Eve chose, and it is what Cain chooses in Genesis chapter 4. And in fact, uh, what we're going to see next time is that this scapegoating option lies at the foundation of all civilization and society. 
so, so this episode today finishes looking at the conversation between God and Cain. Remember, Cain murdered Abel. God shows up and says, what have you done? And they have this little conversation. So we looked at the first part of the conversation last time, and we're finishing up the conversation today. Uh, with uh, The first part was verses 9 through 12, where Cain basically blamed God for the entire situation. And it's interesting that uh, God didn't defend himself or speak in his own defense. It's what we saw last time. Instead, uh, just as God did with Adam and Eve, when, when they tried to blame him, or at least when Adam did, uh, God just turned to Cain like God turned to Adam and told him what the consequences of his decision, of his actions, would be. He, he told Cain in verses 9 through 12, that Cain would be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and he would no longer be able to work the ground and eat the fruit of the ground. So uh, that, in verse 13 then, uh, what we're looking at today, 13, 14, 15, Cain responds then, and his first, after he hears this, he says, my punishment is too great to bear. Now, in the past, when I've read this verse, I sort of always thought, well, Cain's, you know, Cain's whining here. I thought, it, I thought it sounded like, you know, a child who gets caught eating cookies before dinner and the parent shows up and says, go to your room and you won't get any dessert after dinner. And the child throws a little temper tantrum. That's not fair. You know, I didn't know. You know, He's whining here. That's sort of like what Cain, oh, no, my punishment's too great to bear. And I want to say, Cain, <laughs> you idiot, you just murdered your brother. What did you think would happen? Stop your whining, man up, and face the music. Uh, You know, and if that's truly how to understand verse 13, I suppose maybe we can, you know, cut Cain a little bit of slack. I mean, you know, this is the first murder after all. Maybe he didn't realize what was going to happen. Maybe he didn't realize the consequences of of killing his brother. Uh, Maybe he didn't anticipate how he's feeling. This, This fear that he's facing of uh, cycles of retaliation and revenge that we're going to see in verses 14. In verse 14, that that now he's feeling, that he's facing. Oh no, now that I've killed my brother, someone's going to come and try to kill me. All right, So maybe he didn't know that murdering his brother would, would cause him to become alienated from his family and from his home and from his work and all these sorts of things, okay? Um, I don't know. The thing is, is others have noticed this sort of strange reaction, this whining perspective from Cain and um, have also stated that it just doesn't seem to fit Cain's attitude in the rest of the text. And so, I mean, what we humans do often whine and complain about facing the consequences of our actions. That's true. It just doesn't seem to fit with Cain's overall attitude in, in this story here. And so, uh, some Bible scholars have proposed an alternative translation to Cain's words here. Uh, they point out that both the words punishment and the words to bear can be translated differently. Uh, the word for punishment is the Hebrew word awon, and it can be translated as sin or iniquity or even as guilt. All right, uh, The word to bear can be translated as pardon or forgive. All right, So rather than my punishment is too great to bear, Cain words could be translated as, my sin is too great to be forgiven. So in this sense, Cain is sort of recognizing how great his sin is, and, and he's saying, it's, it's too much. It, it, it's, it, I did such a horrible thing. God, you cannot forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. I can't believe I killed my brother. 
So um, this is the view, by the way, of someone like Gary Anderson in his book, Sin, excellent book. And uh, he thinks that uh, that's the way Cain's words should be understood, that uh, Cain has sinned so grievously he can't forgive himself and he doesn't think God can forgive him either. Uh, other scholars sort of go with sort of a hybrid or halfway approach, and uh, they, they choose only to translate the first word, to retranslate the first word, but leave the second as it is. So in this case, Cain is saying, my sin is too great to bear. It's too much of a burden for me. I'm overwhelmed by guilt and shame and fear. So uh, sort of either way, these alternate translations, and they have good scholarly support, sort of present Cain as being sorry or repentant for what he's done. He knows he has done something terribly wrong and is revealing some remorse about it. Cain feels the weight or burden of sin upon him and is asking God to do something about it, if if possible. So uh, if this is true... Um, then it's because, you know, Cain is sort of repentant of his sin. And then people say, well, that is why, in the verses that follow, God puts a mark of protection upon Cain. Anderson argues in his book that this is the only reason God protects. God was coming to punish Cain, Anderson believes. Cain repents, and so God says, okay, okay, I will protect you so that you do not get killed yourself. All right? And uh, Anderson argues that if Cain hadn't repented this way, then God would have punished him, and the outcome of this event would have been much, much different. So uh, because of Cain's repentance, God decided to protect Cain. Okay, that's, the, that's this sort of view here on this. Um, I, so, so the first view, Cain is a whiner. The second view, Cain is repentant. Uh, which view do I hold? <laughs> well, if you've been listening to my podcast for very long or reading my blog for very long, you should know that my typical view is None of the above. <laughs> uh, I tend to think uh, either way of understanding Cain. Cain is a whiner. Cain is a repentant sinner. It just, again, it doesn't fit with the overall flow of the narrative or the character of Cain or ultimately the intent of the text to reveal the heart of humanity. The text is not just telling us what Cain did, but it is also telling us what humans do. And and frankly, yes, we humans sometimes whine, and and yes, sometimes we repent and confess. Most of the times, when most of the time when we are confronted with our sin, what do we do? We argue. We remain stubborn and unrepentant. I don't think Cain is a whiner, and I don't actually see any signs of remorse or repentance from Cain here in the text. From beginning to end, Cain seems to think he's done nothing wrong, which is exactly how we humans tend to react when we are confronted with our own sin. So, in my view, is that uh, we, we just leave the Bible, the, the translation as it is in, in most of our English translations, but we are to understand it differently. Cain's words are traditionally translated, my punishment is too great to bear. And I think that's a fine translation. But I don't think Cain is whining, and I don't think he's repenting. Instead, he is doing what we humans always tend to do, and that is blame someone else. Look, Cain blamed God in verse 10, and he's blaming God here 
in verse 13. In verse 10, he blamed God for not watching over Abel. Now, I'm not my brother's keeper, God. You are. You should know where he is. You should know. You should have been watching out for him. And here he's blaming God for not being fair. When Cain says, my punishment is too great to bear, he's blaming God for punishing him, for making his punishment too great. Cain's wrong about the whole thing, of course, by the way. Uh, God is not punishing Cain. God does not punish. Remember, he only tells us what the consequences of our sin will be. Sin bears its own punishment with it. Sin is its own punishment. I think that's one, one of the reasons why, by the way, the Hebrew word awon can be translated as either sin or punishment. The, the words, uh, English words sin and punishment come from the same Hebrew word, awon. So uh, when, when the punishment of sin, here, here's what happens. When the, the punishment of sin comes upon us, we humans tend to think the punishment comes from God. Just like Cain here, my, my punishment is too great to bear. Why are you doing this to me, God? And God said, I'm not doing this to you. You did this to yourself. And, and then when the punishment comes, we think it's too great, too harsh. It's unfair. I don't deserve to be treated like this. We humans are almost always able to justify our own sin, our own behavior, our own actions. You know, we're always able to say that the way we treated others, it was righteous and just and fair. How we were mistreated. I was only doing to them what they did to me. You know, I had to defend myself. They were disrespecting me. I had to stand up for my rights. We see that's what's going on with Cain here. We saw it with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. But we're going to see it with Lamech as well at the end of Genesis chapter 4 when we get there. And we see this throughout the rest of Scripture. We see it on our own lives all the time. We sin. The damaging and destructive consequences of our sin falls upon us. And then we say, whoa, where did this come from? I don't deserve to be treated like this. I only did what I had. I didn't have a choice. Why am I being punished? It's not my fault. I shouldn't be punished. That's what Cain is saying here in Genesis 4.13. God tells Cain in verses 11 and 12 what the consequences of his actions will be. And Cain responds the way all humans respond. He says, but that's unfair. My punishment is too great to bear. My punishment doesn't fit the crime. I only did what was necessary, so now why am I being punished? Do you see what's really going on here? Cain is blaming God for punishing him and for being unjust in his punishment. I believe this explanation fits the rest of the story and what happens later in Cain's life. In Genesis 4.10, Cain implied that God was to blame for what happened to Abel, and now Cain is saying that God is to blame for what's happening to Cain. And in this way, Cain is the perfect example of the typical human being. You and me all of us included. He is the perfect example of how we act. We commit sin. We think that our sin was justified and necessary. It wasn't even sin. Okay? We think that we were not given a choice and that we were only giving back to the way others, the way they treated us, that we were only standing up for our rights, for our dignity, for our respect. And then when we lash out at others, and as a result, we lose our relationships, our finances, our health, our jobs, maybe even our country, Right? We say, what's going on here? This isn't fair. You know, I, I only did what I had to do. I wasn't given a choice. I was only defending myself. 
That's what Cain is saying here. Cain was only defending his rights as the firstborn of his family, as the role of the deliverer, the savior of his family, the one who would get them back into the garden. You know, Cain believed that was his position within God's creation. And Cain's saying, I, I, I shouldn't be punished. I, I was just maintaining order. I was only doing what you wanted me to do, God. <laughs> sounds like us humans a lot of the time, doesn't it? Frankly, it sounds like a lot of people on both sides of the political spectrum right now in our country. Each side is justifying horrid actions and behavior and terrible words directed at the others, all in the name of justice and personal rights and, you know, righteousness. Anyway, Cain's not done speaking. He continues in verse 14. He says, Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. All right, so so do you see what's going on here? Again, uh, God told Cain in verses 11 and 12 what the consequences of his murder will be. And here... Cain turns these consequences around and blames them upon God. He blames God for them. Uh, Cain says to God, you have driven me out. Is that really what happened? Did God drive Cain away from his family? No. Cain did it himself by murdering his brother. And then Cain, he implies further guilt upon God when he says, I shall be hidden from your face. God never said that. Go back and look. God did not say that he would abandon Cain or that Cain could no longer worship God or be with God. This separation from God is something Cain added. Reminds us when Adam added to God's words as well, back in Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And this reveals our human tendency, by the way. Cain's words here reveals our human tendency to believe that sin separates us from God. You ever heard someone say that? You probably said it. Maybe you preached it in your evangelism, witnessing efforts. You know, all of sin falling short of the glory of God, and therefore you have sinned and you are separated from God. You know, you've probably even seen one of these pictures or diagrams, maybe these tracks where it shows God on one side of this chasm, you know, this great gulf, and humans on the other side, and it's this unbridgeable chasm, right? So so there's we're, we are eternally separated from God, separated from God by sin, right? <laughs> uh Did you know that this idea is not taught in the Bible? It's not quite true, I guess. Let me rephrase that. Let me clarify. The idea of separation from God is taught in the Bible. All right? I mean, it's said here by Cain. I will be driven out from your sight. Okay? I will be driven away from you. A couple other places in the Bible contain that sort of idea. Okay? But notice that when it is said, when the Bible presents this idea, it is always a human invention, a human understanding. This separation is (laughs) man-caused, man-created. It's not something God ever put into place. God, let let me say it bluntly or, or clearly, God does not separate from humans because of sin. He never abandons us to sin. He does not turn away from sin. 
Quite to the contrary, Scripture consistently reveals, in fact, Jesus perfectly reveals, God enters into our sin with us. When we sin, what does God do? He jumps right in the mess with us. I, I talk a lot about this in my theology course on the gospel. Again, it's free for, for members of the hope or love membership levels. Um, so if you want to learn more about this idea about, about God's relation to our sin, uh, you could take that course. Uh, anyway, did you see what, what Cain says at the end of verse, te- for, uh, verse 14? Just sort of continue on here. He says, and anyone who finds me will kill me. All right? So, so again, he's, he's going back to blaming God here. He's basically saying to God, you claim that's wrong for people to murder others, but because of what you've done to me, driven me away from my family, from my protection, from my job, from you, guess what? The result of that, God, is that someone's going to come and murder me. So that's your fault too, God. I'm going to die because of what you've done. Okay? All the way through Cain's words here, he is blaming God. He consistently blames God all the way through the story. By the way, have you noticed who the scapegoat is in the text? As you're reading scripture, as you're reading the newspaper, watching the news, reading novels, reading history books, start to notice who is the one who consistently get blame, consistently gets blamed in the text. Okay? That person is most likely the scapegoat. And even if you say, no, but they're really guilty, that also is a clear sign of a scapegoat, okay? Anyway, here in the text, the one who is consistently blamed, the one who gets blamed the most, is God. (laughs) Even though God is the only innocent one in the text, he's the one that gets blamed with the most wrongdoing. God, in this text here, is the scapegoat. From the very beginning, humans have scapegoated God, and guess what? No surprise, we continue to do it up to this very day. Remember the uh, three ways out of violence, rivalry and violence? First is war, the second is the scapegoat, and the third is forgiveness. Now, God obviously wants us to avoid that first option, war. God is supremely nonviolent. We saw that in Genesis 1 over and over. One of the main revelations of Genesis 1 is that God is nonviolent. He wants to avoid war and violence and bloodshed. Um, it, it, it leads to the death of countless victims. Now, God ultimately also wants us to avoid that second option, scapegoating, especially when humans scapegoat other humans. Uh, when we humans scapegoat other humans, it usually also leads to death. Usually it's fewer deaths. The death of a few rather than the death of many, um, that's one of the reasons we human scapegoats. We figure it's better for one person to die than for the whole nation to suffer. But uh, ultimately, God's goal is that third option, the best option, which is always what God does and what also God calls us to, which God seeks, which is forgiveness. Uh, And I believe that here in the count, God does forgive Cain. I mean, after all, as we see in verse 15, God puts a mark on Cain to protect him. Uh, Anderson was right about that. God works to protect Cain in verse 15. So, so God himself always goes with option three. He always extends forgiveness. But there's something very important about what, what God does in verse 15. After Cain tells God that someone will likely, uh, you know, seek Cain to kill him, God says, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So here's the thing. God knows that Cain is right. Humans do seek vengeance and retaliation. We always tend to escalate the violence. So when God says that whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, I want you to notice very clearly, again, we humans tend to read this as whoever kills Cain, I, God, will exact vengeance on him sevenfold. (laughs) When we read the text that way, what are we doing? Uh, We're following the way of Cain, and we are blaming God for that vengeance. But that is not what God said. God doesn't say whoever kills Cain, I will exact vengeance on him sevenfold. No, he said vengeance will be, shall be taken on him sevenfold. And guess where that vengeance comes from? Well, it comes from that mimetic rivalry, that violence, that escalation of violence that we humans always resort to. This is not something God says he will personally carry out, but is is instead something God warns will be carried out if someone seeks to kill Cain. God is describing the typical order of human events. It usually goes like this. I insult you, so you slap me, so I stab you, so you shoot and kill me, so my brothers or friends come and kill you and your entire family, so you, your extended relatives and friends, come and annihilate my entire town, Okay, and you see how this goes? All from an insult. And this is usually how it works in human culture. You can think of the Hatfields and McCoys or World War I, for goodness sake. What's going on in our country right now? And this escalation of violence is what God is describing here in verse 15. Okay, Cain felt threatened by Abel's offering. It was just a threat to his position. So what does Cain do? He kills his brother Abel. And now Cain fears that someone is going to kill him in retaliation. And God says, yeah, if that happens, then probably someone will go and retaliate your murder, Cain, with a sevenfold murder. I mean, obviously, no one can kill Cain seven times. So what's this sevenfold vengeance? Well, it's killing them and their family. Right? That's what sevenfold vengeance retaliation is. And so what God is describing here is this human tendency to escalate the violence until it becomes this raging inferno, this contagion, out-of-control contagion that threatens the existence of all. God does not want that cycle to continue any further. And so God does what he can to stop that cycle right here. He, He puts a mark on Cain, which is a warning against killing him. And I don't know what that mark was, by the way, what it looked like, how it worked. The Bible just doesn't tell us what it was. But God does two things to stop the escalation of violence. Okay? First, and this is what is often missed in the text, God allows himself to become the scapegoat. God blames, or I'm sorry, Cain blames God for everything that has gone wrong. And God allows it to happen. Why? Why does God not defend himself? Why does does God not show Cain where he's wrong? And why is all Cain's fault? God doesn't do this because Cain knows that if he, I'm sorry, God knows that if he does not allow humans to blame him for the wrong things they do in this world, we will just turn around and blame other human beings, which causes what? 
more violence, an escalation of violence. So God lets himself become the scapegoat so that he can bear our sins away. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, speaking of Jesus then, this is the second thing that God does to stop the escalation of violence. God forgives Cain. And we see this because God does not retaliate against Cain, but instead works to protect Cain from being murdered. He puts this mark on Cain, which is a warning, an attempt to stop the violence, to let the vengeance and the retaliation cease. It's interesting, by the way, this sevenfold vengeance we read about here in Genesis 4.15 parallel, is parallel to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18 about sevenfold forgiveness. So, uh, 77-fold forgiveness, even. So, when, when faced with rivalry and violence, there, there, there are three options. And we began the podcast episode today with this idea. There, there is war, an escalation of violence out of control. It's the worst option by far. Then there's the scapegoating. And then there's forgiveness. Now, humans, in an attempt to avoid war, would usually resort to scapegoating, blaming, accusing one person. And ultimately, if we really look at the scapegoating process, ultimately, we are blaming God in that process. Now, the way of God, the way of Jesus is forgiveness. That's the third way out. It's the way God calls us to to live, the way Jesus calls us to live as his followers. And look, I, I don't know which side of the political aisle you find yourself on right now. But I, I, I plead with you, I beg with you, do not start blaming the other side. Let the name-calling cease. No matter how justified you think it is. Let the finger-pointing end. No matter what you think about... Who has said what? Who has done what? Who's wrong here? Follow the way of Jesus, the way of God, and just forgive. Forgiveness is the only way out of this mess. I promise you. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of God. (laughs) And look, I I don't know. You might say it's impossible. Donald Trump is going to be a horrible president. You know what? He might be. I don't know. (laughs) Time will tell, won't it? If you think that God cannot work through Donald Trump, though, I invite you to read my book, Christmas Redemption. Uh, In the book, I show you how God took a pagan holiday, a sin-filled holiday, used to be Saturnalia, (laughs) full of sin, and transformed it into a festival of lights, which directs us all toward Jesus Christ. That's redemption right there. And God did this with Saturnalia, transforming it into Christmas because it's what God does. He's a redeeming God. I write about this on my blog. I try to teach it here in my podcast and my books and also in my book, Christmas Redemption. That's what the book's all about. Again, you can buy a copy of the book on Amazon if you want. It's not very much. But if you join the Hope or Love membership levels at redeeminggod.com, Uh, I'll send you Christmas Redemption for free in just a few weeks, and uh, you you can get that by going to redeeminggod.com slash register to join now. Teach us about forgiveness and how we, you and I, can be a redeeming force 
in our culture and society right now with everything going on by leading the world, showing the world how to forgive others. God is in the business of redemption. You and I can be too. So let's not blame, accuse, or scapegoat. Instead, let us forgive. This is how we live and love and act like Jesus in the world. Music